0: today on Laura Lynn and Friends. God was about to do something marvelous in bringing his people back into the land and reestablishing them so that the Messiah would come and and so that he could again show, uh, even if in shadows, he could show the, the blessing of his covenant.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the beginning of the last days. My name is Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. It is so good to be with you. And uh, we're going through a lot of dark days, but we have got a guest that is going to help us uh, to navigate those very dark days. So as you know, I like to open up uh, my very most favorite dad's Bible. My dad was my favorite. He was my only one. Uh, But he had a Bible that uh, I love to watch. And so on this page that I opened up, it's just full of notations So I'm going to read you two scriptures that uh, my eyes fell to this morning, and I think uh, they're really apropos. Um, I hope that one of the reasons I love to read from my dad's Bible, it became so precious to me after he passed, but I'm hoping I inspire you that you got one of those Bibles that's sitting beside your bed, or maybe it's in a drawer by now, it's collecting a little bit of dust. I'm kind of hoping you pull it out and you start underlining a few things so that when your kids one day they're reminiscing about how much they love you who you were they'll be able to say you know my dad or my mom they love to get into the word and here's uh, some of the you know the things that they underlined make sure you leave a legacy for your next generation it is so important i had no idea it would become so important i had no idea i didn't know that after my dad had passed and we were dividing up you know we were all like going crazy over the stuff you know like his seal skins and he had a cobra skin from africa like literally a snake i let my brother have that and uh, my son wanted the seal skin because he remembered it from when he was little and uh you know it had seal skins, it's missing one eye this seal skin and as we're looking around you know and taking the china and all of that and packing things up and mom and dad are now both gone Uh, There's his Bible just sitting there, and I did not know it would be such a treasure to me. And so now I understand. So now every day when when I underline this Bible, I'm praying that my daughter is going to appreciate that one day, and that will become a guide to her life uh, long after I'm gone, Lord willing, and should the Lord tarry, okay? (laughs) It's beginning to look like he might be here sooner than we thought, right? Okay, so uh, Psalms... um, Psalms 25, my dad has underlined two scriptures, um, verse 10 and verse 14, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. And in verse 14, he's underlined this, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. Amen. Amen one of the reasons I appreciate God is he has a covenant and it doesn't matter whether we screw up, whether we're, you know, we're in error or whatever. God loves us so much. And actually, it was just this morning that I found out that my dear friend's son has passed and uh, Dean is his name. And Dean, Dean, uh, he must be getting close to Well, maybe a little bit past 60, I think. But his dad's, you know, getting in his 80s. And uh, Dean passed away this morning at 6 a.m. And what was really hard uh, was we fought really hard for him in prayer for his healing because he had cancer. But what was really beautiful, on the other hand, was that his dad Had prayed for many years that Dean would come out of his addiction, that Dean would turn his heart back to the Lord, and honestly it seemed so hopeless. For a season a few years back, I had my, uh, you know, JT and I were in Dean's life. He even stayed with us for a while, but he always seemed to, you know, get messed up again and end up in addiction. So our hearts were broken and his, his dad, Joe, was, uh, was broken over all of that. And in the end, this cancer came back. He had had it many, many, many years ago and then the cancer came back and it was devastating. But do you know what happened? Dean got an opportunity to be loved, hugged and prayed for by so many who just absolutely cherished him, including his father. I visited him at the hospital. um, Loved ones gathered. And you know what? Dean just totally turned his heart back to God. And I'll never forget, you know, he was crying and he had such regret because he felt like he had missed part of his daughter's life. And the things he had done, he was living with this regret. And yet, the Lord was so merciful to give Dean this opportunity to at what should be a very tragic time turned into a very beautiful time because Dean couldn't get into addiction again other than the drugs his doctor was giving him for pain. He couldn't do that, but he did have an opportunity to find God at the end, and it was precious. And so I remember the last time that I saw him just praying for him and finding in those very, very dark moments that there was a joy there Because Dean, he was with God, God's covenant to Dean had never left him. And I, I wrote, I wrote Dean's dad this morning. And I said, I remember being with Dean and the joy is that you as a father, I said to his dad, you as a father prayed so hard repeatedly. He'd send texts, please pray for Dean. Dean's not doing well. Pray for Dean and God never let those prayers go to waste. And even though it was a hard thing that Dean would get cancer and that this would come back and it, it was not pleasant. But it was beautiful because Dean found God. And he found that deep, deep relationship that comes from the battle and the fire. So Dean, rest in peace. We love you. We miss you. And, um, and life is hard. Life is Hard. And I guess that might be the inspiration for uh, Paul Dirks, his next book. We've had him on the show numerous times. I have battled with Paul on stages as we have stood against um, some of the hard things in our culture, some of the lies being told to the young people. But, but Paul and I have fought hard together with other great um, warriors in Canada for our nation for our kids and uh, wouldn't you know it out of all of this uh Paul has written a book it's called Deep Discipleship for Dark Days and um, this book is about you it's about me it's about our life it is about surviving the coming cataclysm with your soul secured and your integrity intact it is about having peace joy And purpose in the midst of tribulation it is about fighting a good fight keeping the faith and winning a prize at the end of it all I love it Paul thank you for waiting in the background and thank you for thank you that the depth of the battle is now what is giving you such rich rich a rich harvest to give to us about these dark days what led you to write mm.
0: this? Yeah, thanks, Laura Lynn. It's always good to be with you. Um, you're mentioned in the book as someone who uh, has has battled. Uh, I well, did not you know that. We battled together, wow. yes. Um, mm. And, uh, th- you know, this book really came out of uh, a desire as a pastor to take the gospel truths that we all need to live by found in scripture and to uh to see to go into those things to deepen in those things in the light of what is upon us and what may yet be coming whether it is tribulation whether it's you know things that are around the corner what you know biometric digital ID, what is you know how is that going to affect our discipleship? How does the increasing totalitarianism that we face here in Canada? Canada how does that affect our discipleship? and to help my own church to help uh, Christians in Canada and maybe even those who are not yet Christians uh, to, to really grasp what we need to do. It is a very practical book. Uh, it's a manual for how to uh, how to live in these days. And, uh, and I, I really hope it is of great use uh, because I know I've, I've got a lot of people that I've talked to that's, that are, you know, they see some of what's going on around us. But then the question is, what do we do now? What, what do we do? How am I supposed to live my life without feeling overcome, anxious? Um, and, and this book really is optimistic in the sense that there is light in the midst of this darkness. There's good things. There's actually an opportunity in the darkness here that we have,
1: wow, and and that's an incredible way to look at it because Paul, um, you talk about um, surviving the coming cataclysm. I I think we all know like uh, world events and even the things happening in Canada. Honestly, I I have people that get in touch with me and there's such a fear factor around it, and yet I noted that you know the verse that you know, came to us through my dad's Bible this morning, it was that, you know, God, uh, God wants to be with us as we are in fear of him and him alone, like in a, in a godly respect for God, but not being fearful of what, you know, it says, let not your heart be troubled when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. So is that sort of the basis in which, did you have to find peace for yourself um, with all that we've been seeing happening in our land?
0: You know, I think Laura Lynn that for myself, some of the battles that we've been through over the last, you know, six or so years, I'm, I'm you know, maybe at seven or eight, I don't know, but I think that that really helped me. I, I mentioned in the introduction that there's two things that are kind of in my experience in the past that really uh, were helped me to to forge this book. One is being a pastor, and the uh, the challenge it is to speak prophetically to the people of God repeatedly uh, that. You know, in the scriptures, we notice this second person imperative style, where preaching is not just self help stuff. It's not even it's not even just teaching, where you take the word and you unfold it. What does it say? That's that's an important part of preaching, but preaching really has this prophetic aspect to it, where you stand before the people, and it's it's very challenging to do this because you have to wrestle with it your, yourself first, and to say, "Thus saith the Lord." Mm-hmm. So there is this prophetic aspect that really does. Um, it really did help impact this book and and how we need to courageously speak and respond to what's going on around us. But then the other aspect is the advocacy that uh, that I've been involved with, with, especially around gender and sexuality issues. Uh, whether it's you know putting together protests and uh, rallies, whether it's going to the Senate and speaking on Bill C sixteen whether it's trying to organize churches to have a coherent um, response to what's going on around us. And so to have a perspective that Christianity and what the scriptures say with the gospel, it has a million implications that affect all of life. And um, but when you understand all this and you've wrestled through it, you know, when when you know the news when cbc news or global news calls you up and say hey listen we saw your posters uh, about bill c16 uh we'd like to interview you here in an hour <laughs> then you know you've, you've got to make a decision at that point am i going to speak up the you know with the truth am i ready to engage on that level or am i going to turn tail and fear and and like you said in the scriptures you have either the fear of god or you have the fear of man mm-hmm. and uh and the fear of God is good because it actually gives you great peace when you fear God. It gives you great um, freedom uh, such that we can speak boldly before the world. We have we have nothing to fear before them because we know who we answer to. And so uh, I think that these things helped to ready me for, for this book and are some of the things that lie in the background.
1: Hmm. So when you were when you were putting it together, uh, you know, there's nobody who learns more than the teacher and putting these. uh, Is it a book like that has scripture that has, uh, you know, things that people can cling on to? Because you're talking about clinging on to something while there's a lot to be pretty nervous about right now in our world.
0: Yeah, so it's a very practical book, Laura Lynn, where we take a look at, essentially there's three parts to it, uh, to these different chapters. Essentially, there's seven exhortations. Uh, again, it's very practical. What do you need to do? So, you know, chapter one is you need to buy a sword. And it, not in a physical sense, and uh, but in a metaphorical sense that the scriptures are often called, or often likened in the word of God to... Um, to to a sword and to this is our this is our weapon in this world in order to spread the kingdom of god which is a kingdom of peace but frankly we also battle in the heavenly places and this battle spills out on the earth and so you know how do we how do we do this well we need to we need to speak we need to be ready to uh to have uh to have courage uh you know francis Schaeffer says this that the primary battle is a spiritual battle in the heavenlies but this does not mean therefore that the battle we are in is otherworldly or outside of human history. It is a real spiritual battle, but it is equally a battle here on earth in our own country, our own communities, our places of work in our schools, and even our own homes. The spiritual battle has its counterpart in the visible world, in the minds of men and women, and in every area of human culture. In the realm of space and time, the heavenly battle is fought on the stage of human history. So there's a movement from, in these chapters, of taking a look at, at what's going on in our world, the darkness that's around us, turning to the word of God and the discipleship principles that we find there that would grant us hope, that would grant us um, a, yeah, a methodology for what' we're, how we're supposed to respond. And then each chapter um, at the very end, there's what I've called a apocalypse preparation list. And what it is is just a, a list of uh, seven or eight things kind of taking in the basic principles of that chapter, telling you like what you need to put into place to be ready for what lies around the corner. So it's it's scriptural. It's, there's some expose going on, you know, what's going on in our world around us? Where are the pressures? Where's the darkness? Are we really seeing that? And then how do we respond to that in very practical ways?
1: Wow, it sounds really amazing. And I, I think that it's exactly what, you know, what we really need um, as a people right now. I, I'm hearing this over and over, uh, Paul. I'm hearing people say that in all their lives, and this is people with gray hair, okay? In all their lives, they've never seen just such a more uncertain time with everything that happened in the last three years since, you know, COVID, with everything that uh, our world shifted when we began to see that we have, you know, we have wars amongst ourselves because of our different belief systems fighting. um, It almost seems irreparably like in our schools, what's being taught and all of that. And people feel like there has never been a time in history that, that in all of their lives, that they felt such an upheaval and such an uncertainty. So do do you feel like you, you almost had to write this book because history and where we are right now needed an answer like this?
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, for myself, I, you know, I was concerned about the fact that um, our, our church actually is has been it's um, it's been really blessed in the time of COVID, and uh, you know we partly I think because our church has stood strong on other issues in the past, so we understand that the gospel has political implications. For instance, uh, and yet it's interesting that even in spite of that, I felt some tension in a church that has fantastic unity. And has had since I've been here. It's a real blessing from God. And yet, there were some places where I felt like, oh, there's still some tension about what's going on. And I wanted to write something that really unified the people of God, uh, as you you know, as you mentioned uh, in in a show recently, how blessed it is when brothers dwell in unity, right? It's like this precious oil coming down on uh, you know, down on Aaron's head and shoulders, and um, you right. know this is this is what we ought to be aiming for but but there's there's so much disunity in the church and we could get into all of the reasons why but i really wanted to write something that would help people to understand where we're at and so it does have some aspects of expose you know for people that don't watch laura lynn <laughs> right um and there, and there are a few, you know, believe it or not, yeah. and that um, you know they don't necessarily see everything that's going on, but yet maybe they they have an earnest desire to follow the Lord. But now, how do we, you know, they may not be ready though for what's coming, and and so to be able to use have a tool to bring people together and say, hey, listen, what can we? Um, using some examples that are very obvious about some of the stuff that's gone on, yes, in times of COVID, COVID, but you know, with with the UN goals, with the kind of stuff that's just really easy to prove, right? Um, not that there's not that there are things that may lurk behind that, but just even using the things that are really easy to prove and say, hey, listen, this is where things are heading. Uh, we've seen where things have gone the last couple of years. How are we going to be ready for this? and how are we going to be unified as a people of God? Because mm-hmm. there are uh, there's a lot of Christian institutions and even churches that are really failing at this time. Some of them aren't failing, but the pressure is on them. And if the pressures continue, because they've bought into certain political paradigms, or they're not realizing what's around the corner, the pressures that are on them from even the immorality in the culture. Whether it's you know whether it's the euthanasia, abortion, whether it's you know the Soji stuff, uh, it's coming. The pressures are coming from many angles, but it really threatens the integrity and it threatens the institutions that we have built. Uh, and so I, I want to try to, in one sense, save as much of that as we can at this hour, this dark hour, and at the same time, I've got a chapter on pioneering new institutions because i think that that is something too that we need to do we need to utilize the opportunity that this is right now and to uh build if you will an alternative culture so that we're ready as the beast system of this world tries increasingly to mark us Um, you know there may be i think there probably is a sort of a full and final marking of the beast that will come at some point in the future. But I think that really the thing that a lot of Christians need to realize is that the beast system is alive and well trying to mark us even now. And we need to be ready for that.
1: I see that you have uh, an endorsement from Aaron Rock, who, of course, we've had on the show a couple of times. Aaron Rock is a pastor who stood uh, so faithfully in Canada while being shocked as well. At some of the churches, their response at different times, but he writes this. He says Paul Dirk's book helps expose the seismic shifts taking place in our increasingly antichrist culture, while providing the reader with hope-filled and tangible responses to the darkness of our age. Um, seismic shifts. I think this is this is what we feel like. These are uh, these are shaking our country, and and. As a pastor, have you been surprised to see the church's perhaps uh, deficiency, Um, some of them? The the way that we responded and even our churches fall into things we might consider unbiblical. Um, Has that been a shock to you?
0: Yeah, you know, I do think that there are... I do think there were some complexities to the covid situation that would cause me to be gracious with those who may have responded a little bit differently than you know now we would look back and say well that, that was hardly ideal but i think that there were some very serious lines that were crossed very serious um, so for instance i have people in my church who are with us right now because. Uh, churches told all their staff they had to be vaccinated, and if they weren't vaccinated, they were going to be let go. And that is from, from just the basis of uh, conscience and the freedom of conscience that the scriptures are so clear about, um, that, is, that, that really is unconscionable. That is reprehensible. Uh, And so, you know, there are, you know, there'd be some different lines where we may want to draw and say, well, this was, you know, this wasn't good. This was, this was unideal. But there were some things that took place where we should be really shocked at the, um, at the level of uh, complicity in, in evils that the world, you know, pressured us with and, and Christians just went along with it. I actually get into some expose based on the work of Megan Basham in the last chapter of um, of the book uh, called Find the Faithful, where I actually argue, actually, I'm trying to help Christians say, hey, listen, in these days, there is a realignment that's happening amongst churches. Um, and... There's a lot of people that are starting to look for churches that align to their political beliefs and even though there are some who have lamented that i actually think that the lordship of christ demands that christianity is political it has implications for all of life and you need to look for a church that's not going to stand in compliance with the world no matter what it says you're going to need to find some leaders that are willing to to suffer, that are willing to stand strong. And if you don't have leaders like that, you probably need to find a new church.
1: Wow. I mean, you're saying something that is kind of Uh, Very different because, you know, separation of church and state, which is really from the United States of America. But um, having been a little bit politically, uh, you know, I've meddled in it and I've been involved, uh, you know, trying to see, trying to make my voice heard uh, so far completely unsuccessful because I'm always running with the underdogs. I'm always running with those who don't have popular opinion. They're not politically correct. They're standing up for truth and justice in a world that does not see that. So uh, with politics, uh, I've gotten to see quite close up how churches view that. And you've had a different approach and, and you see things differently. Like, what do you say to pastors who say, I don't I don't wanna bring politics up from my my pulpit?
0: Yeah, so I think we need to make a distinction between sure. partisan politics from the pulpit and uh, in w- so I, I tell my church repeatedly that you won't hear me tell you who to vote for. I think that that's a, that's a strong line. And I've heard people that, I, that are uh, experts in law who say, yeah, y- you're really crossing the line if you say, you know, vote for this person, whether or not that's, you know, specifically unlawful or not, that, that yeah. probably ethically, that's a line you shouldn't cross. Uh, but at the same time, you know, to, to pretend, and I think this is one of the big problems with, um, with evangelicalism. Here in North America, to pretend that the gospel does not have political implications is so completely wrongheaded. And so we need to, you know, when Christ says, "I am Lord," He's the ruler of, you know, all the kings on earth, as it says in Revelation. Um, You know, we're supposed to pray, "Thy kingdom come." Uh, That those are all political ideas. Um, You know, when when Jesus blasted the Pharisees. Uh, and the Sadducees, these were not just religious leaders, they were governmental leaders. Jesus was political and and people seem to turn a blind eye to that. Um, so the gospel has a thousand implications, a million implications and the the church and the pastors who are not willing to work out the implications and make our faith, Simply about personal salvation and you know reading the Bible and praying every day. Yes, that's where things start, but it can't end there. Um, we need you know we need a we need cultural reformation. We need all of life to be ordered by God and His rule, and that's that's going to bring blessing, prosperity, freedom to to everyone if if we have that. So I think that we're beginning to see what. It looks like in our culture, if instead you have um, you know, a God-based worldview, instead now you have a pagan-based religion and worldview, because really there is no neutral. We've we've bought into the idea that somehow there's this neutral political stance. Uh no, there's no, there's not. Um Christ says he's Lord. Now that doesn't mean we can't work together. I I mean, you know, you know me, we we'll work together with people I'll work together with ra- radical feminists on gender issues, I'll work together with with Muslims on, on soji stuff. We can work together with a, with a wide variety of people but at the end of the day the gospel has po- political implications.
1: Wow, that is so good. And, I mean, this is the kind of uh, dialogue that maybe a whole lot of pastors need to get together. You know, it's really sad for me. I was talking to somebody about, you know, Chilliwack. We've been involved in a certain city in British Columbia that uh, has been, like, seized, like the school board seized by these, I mean, you know, ideologues that uh, are not bearing anything that resembles what we would want our children to be taught. And if all of the churches in a Bible Belt city like Chilliwack, Chilliwack and Abbotsford being extremely Christian areas, if the churches simply, I was talking to a, a senior wonderful lady about this who's had a lot of impact in this area for many years. If all of the churches just said, listen, we're going to be highlighting when that school board um you know, when the vote is and you don't even have to tell people who to vote for and and maybe you shouldn't, but you could say so-and-so believes in this, so-and-so believes in this, here's the Twitter page of so-and-so and and here's this person and this person and this person and they will be able to see the values that are being displayed and if churches got together, we would be able to have godly rulership and righteous leadership in our schools starting there, never mind the rest of government.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% with you, Laura Lynn. This is um this is a big deal. I mean, I I I remember a friend of mine going to one of the churches in Chilliwack and and saying, "Hey, listen, this in a by-election, here's somebody that represents and like a sex activist, um, you know, almost pornographic uh kind of sex activist person that that is trying out, you know, or that wants to be uh on on the school board, and then here's the alternative, this this Christian person and and the, the church leadership said no listen we're not going to touch it because it's political and uh, you know you shake your head you know what what a narrow view and i actually make the point in the book um there's a lot of uh drawing from the example of both negatively and positively where possible from uh the confessing church during world war ii and um the fact that you know on one hand there were some very courageous christians within the confessing church who stood up for for christ and the gospel and yet on the other on the other hand the amount of christians within germany that actually were willing to say something or to you know get together and um and work for the justice of you know know, for the jews against what was happening to them that group was vanishingly small i mean you're talking about you know a, a small handful and so you know haven't we learned anything we, you know we we need to carry out christ's justice but not just i hear a lot of talk about justice in churches actually but it seems to me that the kind of justice that that a lot of churches are interested in is the kind that are going to get you uh, you know a pat on the back from from your from your neighbor right from your your neighbor that's that's not a Christian, um, rather than the kind that will get you you know sworn out or or you know um, have their relationship cut off, right? That like God cares about justice, not just the you no, know, not just the kind that the world's interested in. So I think we need to do a much better job.
1: Well, the scripture says to be salt and light, but if the salt has lost its savor, it's worth nothing, and. You know these pastors that said to you, "Oh, we're not going to touch it. It's, it's political," and literally allowing our children to be fed to the wolves, so to speak, because uh, yeah. these these people they they won't stand against pornographic books in the schools, and yet the church will not band together and say, "Hey, we hope that you're doing your job to be salt and light, and to bring the right savor, the right element." Uh, that we believe in to our culture, it is staggering. And you've done that, Paul, and you've done it really, really well. And I know your church, you've got a, a great church in, is it New Westminster area?
0: Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah.
1: And and people should come and you should check out Paul Dirk's church, <laughs> uh, you know, and you didn't ask me to say that, but I I absolutely, like I, we have got to find the people that are standing up for what's right loudly and unashamedly and with courage because cowardice is really upon us
0: yeah it is and you know that's that's where the book really starts in the first chapter the because i really think that this is the the sin of uh, of canada i really do i think that we have become a nation of cowards and I, i don't say that as somebody who is naturally courageous i um you know i've i've used that that verse in revelation 20 um you have probably heard me quote this actually in, in before but there's this there's this verse in revelation 20 that says you know that when it talks about all these different people that are not going to inherit the kingdom of god and that are in fact going to be thrown out um that it starts you know you've got the sexually immoral in there you've got the idolaters you've got those who practice rich, witchcraft but the, the the group it starts with are the cowards and that is, you know, that's something that we need to really wrap our minds around because I think that this is kind of the sin of Canada that we're very, we're very nice, we're very, uh, we're very pleasant people, but we we need to, you know, we need to be much more courageous, and that's where the book starts to, you know, that we need to pick up a sword and and uh, be willing to speak. Um, but you know, also drawing from what you said about you know Soji and what's going on with our with our kids. There's a chapter in this book that draws from some of the work that um, that I've done on sex and gender, and it, it's called "Do Your Homework," because I think that um, you know if things continue to get darker, and even even if things don't, even if things just sort of if we're able to stave off the worst parts of what you know what we may see is coming, I think it's going to take uh, a number of years and maybe even a rege- uh, a generation to recover some of the thinking and some of the protection of our of our kids. To be able to reclaim uh, what you know, what God wants for us as Christians, and and to see that you know come to pass in our culture. So, this chapter mm-hmm. on do your homework mm-hmm. is talks about the uh, all of the hostility that's directed against the family currently in our day and age. Um, I talk about how family is the foundation of the world. We talk about how even something as, you know, for some people, even some Christians, they think it's innocuous that there's gay marriage. No, it completely undermined the idea of what marriage is and what it's for. Um, And uh, so in this chapter two, I think, I'm not not certain, but I think this is the first book in print that actually has an interview with uh, someone we know as CD here in Vancouver. So it talks about his situation um and uh but there's you know also yeah but it talks about how the how the the family needs to be the home needs to be not only a haven from the world but it needs to be a headquarters it needs to be the kind of place where families can build up one another and ready themselves for really a fight in the world for some hostility and so we need to uh we need to raise up and train our kids so that they're ready for that for that battle um, and they need to understand a little bit of not just like we're all sinners and we all need, you know, God and His love and His salvation. Yes, that's true. But also the scriptures are pretty strong uh, with this dichotomy that you see over and over again, the righteous and the wicked. And we need to be able to use that kind of language with our families to be able to say, listen, this is who we are as a family. This is what we believe. Here is our identity. and and out of that, then, to go into the world. And um, and really with our family generationally to take ground for Christ.
1: Yeah, you know, so uh, you know, I'm reading a little bit about uh, your book, the synopsis, and all of that, and and you're basically saying it's not really about, you know, maybe it's not it's not specifically about George Soros and Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab, uh, but understanding um, that that some of these things that have come into play that we've become very aware of, that there is sort of a trajectory going on. And I wonder how do you help us as Christians and, and your church and the people that you literally shepherd uh, to hear of these wars and rumors of wars, to deal with what Matthew 24 says, what Daniel predicts in the last days, what revelations has to say, like some of it is dark, like dark days. You better believe it. It, it talks about the sun and the moon, you know, potentially kind of going dark. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that means that, you know, there's so much smoke, we don't see it for a while. I don't know, but it's not good. And so um, how do we navigate having God's peace, knowing that he, he does have a plan for, pretty much coming to the last days in the end of the world as we know it.
0: Yeah, so there's a few things that could be said about that. Um, the one is that, you know, I don't make any prognostications about about Christ and his return. I personally don't think that's a good idea. Um, I And I'm, I'm not saying that as somebody who is a cessationist. I do believe in the continuation of the, you know, the spiritual gifts. But, uh, you know, a lot of Christians have gotten a lot of trouble in the past, you know, saying this is, you know, this is what's coming and, and they've got it wrong. Um, so one of the things that I think we need to see is that in throughout history, there are certain patterns that reoccur over and over again, these cr- sort of apocalyptic uh, patterns. And that is one of the paradigms that I think we need to see right now, that there is, just like there was at, at the time of World War II um, and the Third Reich, there are these patterns, these, you know, where you see, you see the rise of the beast and this world sort of control that, that the beast systems of the world desire, you know, it, it is, yeah, it is Soros, it is the World Economic Forum, it is the UN. And I don't completely shy away from that. Um, but that, you know, we don't necessarily know if God will, you know, grant some victory, and then he'll in his grace, give a little more time for, you know, for more people to come in. So we don't necessarily know what's around the corner. Uh, we need to be hopeful, we need to plant and build things uh, so that if the Lord finds us doing that, if he re- if he returns, you know, next year, he finds us doing that. If he gives us another, you know, 10 or 100 years, he finds us doing that when we return, right? In the parable with the servant, right? Busy about his servants or about his master's business. Um, so that's part of the answer. Uh, part of the answer, too, though, is the fact that even in the midst of darkness, um, there is great hope that God may yet do a wonderful work concurrent with the darkness. And I get into this in a couple of places, and and it may not be explicit in Scripture, but I think that if we take a couple of passages and put them side by side, um, thinking about some places in Revelation, thinking about Romans, um, is it chapter 9? thinking about some other places where I, I think what's likely to occur when the end comes um is that there is both a great persecution of of the saints as the beast is given power for for a brief period as well as a worldwide revival one at least one more great worldwide revival and so uh you know i think this kind of thing gives us great hope that even if great darkness should come, that God may do a fantastic work in the middle of that. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the the paradigms I see in the Book of Revelation is not just you know the rise of this darkness, but rather a um, a bifurcation that there's this great binary that takes place. Where right now we see in a lot of there's a lot of gray going on, although you know maybe it's becoming pretty black and white pretty quick. But in the Book of Revelation, you see this this grayness. Kind of fade away, and you only have, you know, those who are sealed with the Lamb, and those who are marked by the Beast. That's that's all there is. You're in one of two camps, and uh, and so I think that this gives us hope that even if things should progress to a very dark place in the near future, not only you know will God give us what we need to be ready for that, but God may very well pour out His grace and His Spirit in revival at the same time.
1: And wouldn't that be amazing? Um, You know, there have been times uh, in my life when I've seen a a move of God Um, as a teenager. uh, A lot -hmm. of us, you know, had a season of getting very impacted. It was like we just couldn't wait to get to church. We couldn't wait for (laughs) the youth meeting because God was showing up and like people were just, you know, uh, really changed from the inside out over these things. And then it seems like it's been a lot of years of a little bit of dryness and Canada's kind of descended. We've lost our morality. Now they don't want us to pray. Like our our nation is just walking away from God. And so to think of that in the midst of all of that, there's some reprieve and that God would give us more time just to see his power move again, another revival. And it is spoken of in the word. And you're right, that could... Like what you're saying is, God will sustain us, and we will be if we if we walk with Him, He will hide us under the shadow of His wing. Because I believe Psalms 91 is true that that God's with us. The you know the pestilence and the you know the the next uh, you know COVID phenomenon might come to their tent, but it will not come to ours. It will be yeah. protected. But that God, even through this darkness, that because of the darkness, he'll be with us. He'll, he'll pour his grace out in that time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you see this, you see this throughout history, right? That it's in sometimes in, in uh, and I mean, scriptural history, where you see something, you know, very bleak, and yet God's right around the corner, you know, to do something mm-hmm. just astonishing. You think about the book of Exodus, and how the people of Israel are crying out in their affliction. and uh, But it wasn't long until God sent Moses, and uh, things got a little bit worse, actually, before they got better. Uh, it wasn't long before they were you know redeemed and and uh and then you know baptized in in the in the red sea and then you know on towards the promised land but they uh you know they had to go through that time where things got a little bit worse in those first few plagues before they got better but uh you know god was god was doing something astonishing in that moment um you know we even think about how you know even in persia where you know daniel was and and you know the three brothers were at work and of course others as well ezra nehemiah esther um and so you know it, it looked bleak the people were out of the land they were under the curse that god had said they would be back in deuteronomy because they weren't going to obey and yet God was about to do something marvelous in bringing his people back into the land and reestablishing them so that the Messiah would come. And, and so that he could again show, uh, even if in shadows, he could show the the blessing of his covenant. Uh, so, you know, just because things are very dark, um, one, God is with us and uh, and. You know he he makes that that light to shine from within. You know death is at work in us, but life in others, as the apostle Paul says. And then two, uh, that light may be coming right around the corner. So one of the verses that I I say every every day as I walk to the church pretty early in the morning is from Isaiah sixty, uh, arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. His glory shall be seen upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And it talks about looking up and being radiant because all the wealth of the nations will come to you and your daughters will be carried uh, and, and your sons will be with them. And what a great picture that yes, there you know, darkness may cover the earth, but the Lord will arise on us.
1: Paul, uh, one one sort of last question: Do you do you think that God is trustworthy?
0: Yeah, absolutely, He is. Uh, he is the source of all that is good. Uh, this psalmist says that He is good and He does good. Um, there, not a single promise of His will fail. He says in His Word. And, uh, you know, one of the things I like to remind my people of is that if indeed God is the truth, or as Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, um, that, that you can throw your hardest questions, your deepest concerns at him, and he will not fail. Um, keep relying on the Lord, but there is a perseverance in faith that the Lord requires. Um, The one who perseveres to the end shall be saved. And so, you know, as the darkness increases, we have to hold fast to the Lord. He will be faithful, but he demands us uh, faithfulness from us as well. And so uh, my hope is that this book kind of helps people to see what, uh, what that hope is and how we can do that in effective and very practical ways at this time.
1: I absolutely love it. Thank you very much, Paul. and uh you know, I knew you'd have a good answer for that. uh God is, He is just so faithful. and you've nice. seen it. you've seen it in those dark hours. Uh, I'm gonna end today's show by reading uh, Isaiah sixty. Um, a bit more It talks about the darkness that covers the earth. And this is, this is awesome. So the title of the book is Deep Discipleship for Dark Days. And right now, uh, before it gets to Amazon, you can get it at Ezra Press. You know, someone's watching right now who's going through uh, a dark time. It could be because, you know, maybe their family isn't in the right place or some losses and all of that. But Knowing that God is with you, this seems that this is going to be a book that gives you the hope that He is there. And deep discipleship for dark days. So thank you so much, Paul.
0: Thank you, Laura Lynn. It is always a pleasure. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness and, um, and for helping to build up uh, the, ch- the Church of Christ and also for, you know, working for, for Christ's justice.
1: Amen. We're, we're so sojourners and, and warriors <laughs> together, Paul. I appreciate it yeah, very amen. much. God bless you. Take care, thank you. Thank you. That is one of the finest Canadians in this country, right there, Paul. You can, you can believe him. He'll tell you the truth. Um, even if you don't like it, he's not gonna sugarcoat anything. <laughs> Paul is a good man. And this, uh, he's very learned, he's very wise. He's very intelligent, uh, but the spirit of God works within him. And, you know, sometimes like uh, I like to bring to you things that I think will help you. So when we talk about, you know, surviving the coming cataclysm, (laughs) you know, I'm going to order Paul's book right now, (laughs) you know, for sure, because uh, we want to know how to do that. And I think every day we're kind of here together on that quest, learning what is it that's going to get us through We're going to be talking a lot about that at our event coming up, October 28th. That is this Saturday. Woo! It is finally here. And look at those champions. They are going to be bringing you the truth. I'm pretty excited about Dr. Byron Bridal. You heard him earlier this week. And he's going to be sharing on Health Canada's got a problem, everybody. Either they have to denounce and stop putting out these, you know, shots they've been doing because they contain an element that has not been disclosed to the public. It has not been disclosed by Pfizer. It's the SV40 component. It's in the shots and we've talked about why it's not good. I'll leave it there so I don't face any more recriminations from anything. I hope that you will go to the website, lauralyn.tv under events. You can order your tickets. We have tickets for every budget. We would appreciate if you're able to help us that you'll just kind of, you know, throw us a little bit of cash because this has been an expensive journey. And uh, you know, we have to take care of all of our beautiful guests and we have to get them in. So we hope that, um, that you'll help us to do that. But we don't want you to miss the event because It's not an easy time financially, all right? Also, if you want to get your teenagers there, just bring them, okay? Bring your teenagers to hear some of the most brilliant and astute speakers of all time sharing um, the truth in our generation. And also, uh, hearing Dr. Lance Now, This guy, you will love him. I really I based this this entire event around Dr. Lance now because he is so great. He is um, he's so well spoken, he's funny. He's the kind of guy that he does these midnight rants. So he gets on to the the Facebook. You know, you need to follow him on Facebook and You know, one o'clock in the morning, wherever he is, which is generally, I think it's probably 11 o'clock my time, but you'll see, oh, Lance is live. So, you know, you tune in and he's ranting and talking about what's going on in America. Sometimes he even brings up Canada, thank God. And I hope that he has a real awareness so that he's in prayer for the plight, the plight of Canada. But he's just got, you know, some of the neatest and most unique ways of looking at all that's going on. He has a distinct understanding of Israel, uh, the Gaza War, uh, because he's Jewish. And he has a sister who lives there. So he's there a lot in Israel. And so this has been very dear to his heart. Um, He gets it. He understands the history. So he can explain things in a way that's important. And we're all dealing with a, a huge holy mess. It's a huge holy mess going on. Right now, with people that are terrorists that do not seem to have any empathy or a human soul, even something bad is is just really been unleashed. So we pray for Israel. We continue to do that, but we hope that you're ready to have the time of your life. All right, um, concerns continue. I was reading uh, some things actually even today uh, regarding the finances, regarding the state even of our dear Canada. Um, so I don't know. I don't know exactly who's been making all the decisions because everyone passes the buck, but we have not made good ones. And our financial horizon is not good right now. So we pray that, uh, you know, that we'll all have information that gives us good decisions. The only thing I can say is, I think it's really safe to put your funds into gold and silver the Word of God says gold and silver are mine and so God values that gold and silver and so I think that if you want to invest in that you should and that's through sovereignize at protonmail.com. that's what JT and I've done with some of our excess funds we've invested in some gold and silver so that you know if, uh, if perchance a day comes where the value the value of the dollar suddenly you know takes a steep dive and or they freeze accounts because of some emergency or whatever. Uh, Gold and silver are, you can barter or, or trade them and sell them at any of these money exchange places anywhere across the world. They are just like money. But it's nice to have the gold and silver in your hands or in a safe place that you can access in a time of trouble. Don't leave your money just sitting there in droves. In the bank. Okay. I want to close today by reading from Isaiah 60, which our dear uh, friend Paul um, brought up. I've heard this many times since I was a young girl. Do you like my fancy water bottle? It's kind of cool, huh? Yeah. My son put my water in there. It's very nice. Thank you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you, rises upon you. That's like in the present tense, right? It rises like right now. It is rising right now on you, the glory of the Lord. How do we walk in the glory of the Lord? Well, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, that that's who ascends to the mountain of the Lord. How do we be close to God? If you are harboring sin, If you've got secret stuff and you're getting away with it and you think it's all good, it's not good. God sees it. He will pour His justice. He will have His righteous stand made well. If there's any secret sin in your life, like get rid of it. Don't let the enemy use it because the enemy will use that sin to literally go before the Father. You know, remember Job? Job was brought before God, right? or the enemy, the enemy went before God and Job's name was brought before the Lord. And God said, consider my servant Job, you know, how he is, you see. And then the enemy was going against Job saying, well, he's just protected by you because you protect him. Otherwise he would turn his back on you in a heartbeat. And God knew so well that Job would not turn against him that he allowed the enemy in the book of Job to just, He'd do everything to him, but take his life. And Job was found faithful. But imagine that today, if the enemy goes before God, the enemy of our soul, Satan, who is a liar since the beginning. And he says, well, God, listen, I just want to point out to you. So-and-so put your name in there, right? I want to point out to you, Laura Lynn. Listen, Laura Lynn doesn't deserve your blessing because she's got this secret sin. She is constantly backbiting and gossiping about people, and I, and I think she told lies. You see how the accuser of the brethren is bringing your name before the Father? I hope that any time the enemy brings an accusation against me, it will show it will be shown to be in the wrong, and even out of my own mouth, that I'll be able to say that is not true. I am not doing those things. I am walking before God in a pure and an upright way, and when we walk before God in a pure and an upright way, we get his glory and I'm just thinking his glory like it is bright because see what it says here in Isaiah 60 verse 2. See darkness. It covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. Do you feel a darkness? I kind of feel a darkness and the enemy of our souls wants us to feel the darkness and wants us to be overcome by the darkness and to fall into depression and into worry and into anxiety. But we do not accept that it says this, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. His glory. It's bright, It's powerful. It says here nations will come to your light and Kings to the brightness of your dawn. When God's glory is shining in your life because you are honoring Him, because you are walking in the fear of the Lord, God will bring even nations, even kings into your presence. How spectacular is that? God bless, see you soon. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice.